Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. All right. Well, welcome back to the Outdoor Drive podcast. This is episode, uh, what's this, 70-something or other? Perfect. Three. No, we're past that. I don't know. I, this my be mind's 74, so scattered 75. right now. Eh, you know what? It's there. It's in the 70s. Perfect. It's before 80 and after 70, so yeah, we're there. Sweet, man. So it's your boy, East Coast Trev, and? This is Steve. What's up, Steve? Chilling, man. Finally got some warm weather today. Some of that ice melted off. Just about right to go out and start looking. I'm getting antsy. I know. We got some rain last night. Kind of, we, on the south-facing slopes, there's no snow, um, which is perfect. perfect. And then you- yeah. In between getting there <laughs> from slope to slope, there's like knee high deep. Well, not knee, but like so, shin high deep snow. Just sucks. take your drag sled, Ugh. go up, search the hill, get to the top, slide down, go up the next side. Dude, what a pain in the ass. But it was fine. I mean, you can definitely, I still want the snow to be on the ground and kind of follow the tracks, right? Yeah. So you kind of see what's going easier. on. But I didn't find nothing. We found a deadhead yesterday. Both the girls went with me. Yeah. And we found a deadhead, so that was kind of cool, but it'll be nice to get man. out. You know what I'm really excited about, honestly, is is this new this new thing that I got just like hanging around. Hmm, what is that? This is the new Ridge Runner by Nor'easter Game Calls. This thing is badass. Tell you what, I'll rip it real quick. Still kind of playing around with it where you got to do it. But I think what I kind of got out of it was you got to hit the middle of the call. Yeah. That's what seemed to be right. So is that right? Because I was trying to play it. I was trying to play it like this, like put your palm here and play the top of it. And it works. But I think you really got to be right in the middle of it. Yeah. To get that perfect sound bounce. Uh, the other thing that I noticed with the original is you play it light. Don't put pressure on it. I don't know yeah. if it played through on this one but that's how the original was. Yes and no. I mean, yes and no. So I mean, you can push down on it. Or you can do it light. But aluminum, it seems that any type of aluminum top turkey call that I've found, you have to, it. yeah, you got to definitely play it more light. Um, I'm excited, dude. Me too, dude. They're, they are badass. I, I really, really do like them. I went through um, – and played around with every single one of them, conditioned the um, the strikers for them and everything. So the ones that I have, Beautiful. so be kind of cool. Pumped about that. Um, and then obviously uh, we haven't we haven't decided on our series for our turkey pot calls just yet, but I will say when they do release. It's going to be fucking good. It's going to be popping. <laughs> it's going to be popping. So keep your eyes out for those. Uh, you guys can get over to NorEasterGameCalls.com, and we are going to do a giveaway on one or two of these um, here in the new near future before the turkey season starts. Um, so check them out, NorEasterGameCalls.com. And then 
the speaking of giveaways right now we have giveaways is up and live on both Facebook and Instagram for the outdoor drive timber tumbler uh, tumbler. So if you guys want to win one of those, get on over to our Facebook page or Instagram page. Um, and on the Facebook page, make sure that we're, you're subscribed to YouTube. Uh, if you're not subscribed to YouTube, you cannot win for the Facebook side. So just make sure you go over and do that. So check them out. Timbertumblers.com. Also, but real uh, quick on that oh. in podcast land, this is dropping on the fourth. So what day do you want to say is our cutoff on that? The fourth. Right. No, right. I don't know. I, I, I really honestly haven't even made a, um, a date on it. I was just kind of letting it roll, but actually now that you say that, yeah, people are probably going, uh, when do we know? <laughs> so, right. Since this is dropping on the 4th, we'll say that gives you three days. We're going to pick a winner on the 7th. Perfect. So the 7th. Perfect. Three more days to get. You're nicer than me because I was going to give him him the 5th. But no, just kidding. So you said the 7th. No, (laughs) we'll we'll save it till the 7th. So on the 7th, we'll draw those. So make sure you get on over the social media and put those on there. I totally even forgot about that. I am so sorry. Darn it. Well, I'm, I'm scatterbrained. I just yeah. get so excited about that stuff, you know? Well, it's been a little crazy lately, so totally get it. Absolutely. And speaking of uh, you guys, if you're listening to this podcast, you guys missed out on the virtual um, trade show by Wild Edge Inc. So, you guys, there might be some sales still kicking around, and they are doing giveaways. So, if you guys haven't already by now, go over and check them out. Um, if not, you've missed out on that, so tough yeah. shit <laughs> pretty yeah it sucks for you um also we might as well just bang out all the sponsors because we were three out of six already Go on the it. on the list here so uh broadside camo broadsidecamo.com the photorealism uh camouflage for the aerial hunter check them out use the promo code outdoor drive on that one and then um out, out on the limb out on the limb mfg.com um, for all your platforms, camera arms, custom tree stands, fabrication for uh, you as a hunter. So go and check him out. Uh, Matt Garris over at Out on the Limb. And then last but not least, Wicked and Twisted Bowstrings, wickedtwistedbowstrings.com. Um, they have a new person in the shop. They made a made huge announcement for that. So they've partnered up with somebody to help them make custom bowstrings. So go and check them out, wickedtwistedbowstrings.com and get your custom bowstrings. Damn, man, you're popping tonight. Pretty sweet, bro. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's one of those. That's why. So <laughs> we'll just leave that there. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Makes me focus a little bit better. Cheers. I Cheers. <laughs> we don't do a lot of that, but. <laughs> Might as well tonight. Yep. So. But other than that, man, I'm like super pumped about this coming up season because turkey season's pretty much getting close to underway by now. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm seeing some turkeys dying. Is it just me or did turkey season just like creep up on us? Like deer season ended, it felt like forever. Now all of a sudden, here we are prepping our gear. Oh, you should. You, if you could see the inside of the studio right now, it looks like a turkey blew up inside here. Like there's just turkey shit everywhere. <laughs> but I mean, I don't know. I'm just pumped because I think that 
I think my first turkey hunting trip um, will be Virginia. Yeah. We'll go a little bit before you. Yeah. So, so that'll be kind of cool. I'm looking forward to that. And then that's where it all starts right there. And then right from Virginia. there, it's just kind of wherever we end up. <laughs> I think Pennsylvania might even be on the list now. Ooh, I mean, got my tag already. So perfect. That's what you like to hear. Why not? <laughs> and for those speaking tags, guys, I just quick reminder now that it's after the first of the year, um, you guys make sure that you get in on all of your lotteries for some of the states that have opened. Like, so I've gotten on my moose tag so far and then kind of deciding on what other lotteries that I'm going to put in for. But my main moose tag is in probably Pennsylvania elk tag would probably be one of the ones that I'll put in for also. Yep. And, um, whatever we're going to do for Idaho, that one will come shortly as thereafter. Soon but as they would hurry up and open, they haven't opened theirs yet No. which some States haven't, but just keep your eyes out. I don't want anybody missing out on that. I mean, I got to put in for my Iowa tag too, to get my preference points down there. We're going to get that kicking off. I want to go mm-hmm. and do that. So that's, that's an important thing. So, but pay attention to that stuff. Good stuff. You know what I'm saying, Steve? Yeah, man. There's nothing worse than realizing it's the last day of the draw. Oh, don't want to be that guy. Go crap. I got to come up with the money, front the money, get the tags put in, make sure you do it right, and hope you get it in before midnight. In other words, your ass ain't got a chance. Absolutely. No joke. No joke. Well, you know, I think we should shift gears a little bit because this podcast is not even about hunting. I know. This is a fishing podcast. We're, we're going to flip it around on everyone. It is going to be about offshore fishing, tuna fishing, maybe some inshore stuff. Depends what he wants to talk about, but there'll be a little mix of everything on this one. Hell yeah. Well, nothing better than that, right? I, I'm going to go ahead and kick you back into neutral for just a second. And uh, I need you to go ahead and crank up that old tape deck you still got, Ooh. old Civic. All right, hold on. Hey, everyone. Mike here with some news for your crews. We're going to start this one off in Minnesota. Uh, and with turkey season right around the corner, uh, the Minnesota DNR now has something new uh, for those interested in learning about turkey hunting. The DNR has actually put together a two-part online turkey hunting class Uh, And those videos are free and can be viewed anytime on the DNR website's turkey hunting page. So get over there and check those out before the season starts. Uh, Now off to Idaho, where the Department of Fish and Game is considering an elk hunt in the Camas National Wildlife Refuge, which currently does not allow any big game hunting. Uh, This is due to the elk herd causing significant agricultural damage. The proposal would allow uh, anyone with an antlerless tag for uh, Game Management Unit 63 to automatically be entered into the drawing uh, for one of the 80 available access permits. Uh, If you do get drawn and do not want to uh, hunt in that unit, you can um, say no, uh, and they will draw another one. Uh, The 80 permits will be taken, uh, will be broken up into eight access periods of 10 permits each. Uh, And there will be two two two-week access periods each month from September to December. 
The Idaho Fish and Game Commission is expected to decide on the proposed hunt during their next meeting on March 18th. Uh, now off to Wisconsin, uh, which has just executed their first wolf hunting season since 2014. Uh, 27,000 hunters applied for tags uh, for the short season, and 1,486 tags were issued to hunters. Uh, and the season was closed after only three days as hunters exceeded the harvest quota. The harvest quota for non-native hunters was 119 wolves, uh, with tribes having 81 tags allocated as well. After three days, there had been 216 wolves taken uh, in the non-native zones, which led to closure of the season. Um, now let's hit on some new records across the country. Uh, we'll start off uh, back in Idaho, uh, where 2020 saw a 15% increase in the sale of fishing licenses. Uh, with that came more than two dozen uh, catch and release state records being set, which was the most since uh, they started keeping catch and release records uh, back in 2016. There were also six new certified weight records uh, in the state of Idaho, so uh, quite a lot of new records there this year uh, with people spending more time in the outdoors uh, with COVID going on. Now off to California. Uh, where Dave Burris has set the new California state record for black crappie. Uh, the fish was caught on February 17th and tipped the scales at 5 pounds, 5.44 ounces. Uh, was 17 and 3 quarters inches long and had a 16 inch girth. Uh, the fish, once certified, uh, would replace the 46-year-old record of 4 pounds, 1 ounce. So congratulations to Dave on a great fish. And now let's head back east to New York and a couple of new whitetail records. Uh, the first is 27-year-old Dieter Herbert. On the afternoon of Halloween uh, for 2020, uh, Herbert had just shot a 130-inch class, class whitetail. Uh, and only minutes later heard another deer coming. Uh, it ended up being the new number one typical bow kill in New York with a gross score of 197 and 4 eighths and a net of 191 and 3 eighths inches. Uh, the buck is the actually the largest typical killed in New York by any method uh, since 1939. So congrats on the buck of a lifetime. Um, pretty amazing. And then just eight days later, on November 8th, uh, Gulf War vet Philip Pless took the new state record non-typical archery buck, um, the 18 point drop tying buck uh, officially gross scored at 221 and three eighths and netted 214 and two eighths, uh, which was nearly four inches better than the previous record taken in 2011. Uh, so congrats to Philip and thank you for your service. Uh, and what a banner year for New York bow hunters. So uh, as always, if you have any news for me, some people have been sending some stuff along, which is great. Reach out to me on Facebook at Mike Salter or bearded underscore bowhunter21 on Instagram. And with that, enjoy the rest of your ride. There we go. Mike Salter, appreciate it, buddy. And congratulations on the little one. She is here. And uh, welcome to the world, little, little, little one. Absolutely. Got a new rider. And there's nothing better than that. New hunting partner coming soon. So everyone, if you, if you haven't already, reach out to Mike Salter. Give him a little congratulations on the little one. So. For sure. Well, man, what do you think, bud? 
I think we ought to drop the outboard and uh, get this puppy out in the water. Which that was good. That was real good. I like that. That was that was good. <laughs> I like it, Steve. Well, we had, all, had all the nice little shifting and talking and backing it up, and why not throw it out? You know, get offshore. Let's go. Let's get offshore. Let's do it. <laughs> nice shot. Here comes a shooter. Shooter. Big button. Stack, stack, stack. With Captain Chris, what's up, man? How are you? What's going on, guys? I'm I'm great. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for taking the time. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll be able to have a little fun today, whether it's you know charter stories or um, you know a little bit of knowledge from offshore fishing, whether it's bluefin, marlin, uh, swordfish, big eye, you know, whatever, whatever you think people are into, we'll kind of drive the ship and see where it goes and have some fun. Absolutely, man. So why don't we why don't we just do that? Why don't we turn this key man and uh, like Steve would say, drop the outboard and uh, why don't you tell everyone who you are, where you're from and, and what you do? So uh, my name is Chris Young, I'm sport fishing captain here in the Northeast. Uh, I've been fishing, you know, the New England waters since I was since I was old enough to carry a fishing pole. Pretty much. I grew up in the summers just riding my bike down to local watering holes here in, in Rhode Island. And then you know, once you get old enough and get the opportunity to get offshore, once that offshore addiction kicks in, man, it's, uh, it's pretty heavy. It's tough to go back. You know, once you get the tug of a giant bluefin on the line to, uh, to go back in the freshwater, but you know, they both have their technical sides, but I just kind of took it and ran with the offshore and just developed a love for it. Um, so I've been fishing the offshore waters of Rhode Island and, and all of New England for my whole life, um, you know, more recently in the past, like 10 years, really getting into the offshore game, obviously, because it's expensive. You need to like, you know, be stable, afford a boat, things of that nature to get out there. So um, this year we're running a 38 foot Jupiter center console, we'll trip 250s on it. Um, we'll be offering everything from inshore, you know, offshore fishing to the canyons overnights, you know, whatever everyone's looking for. But that's what we're doing this year. In the past, I've, you know, ran boats for uh, big game sport fishing. And now we're kind of running all the charters under otoro uh, sport fishing we also have a sister company which is ohana Charters. so um you know they're all pretty much different llc's for different boats and different style fishing whatever the customer wants to do so you know we're on the water over 100 days a year and we do every trip you can imagine from lighthouse tours sitting around just uh, watch people eat cheese and drink wine to your hardcore guy that wants to go out there and catch a bluefin tune on a certain certain size test line that's awesome, man. So you, you've kind of, you're in the whole entire realm of everything when it comes to fishing. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you know, as a, as a charter captain, you're pretty much, you, you're doing, you know, you have like your, you have your niches that you're good at that you kind of, you know, people get to know you for and, you know, they want to hire you for tournaments and they want you to go out and, you know, help them catch a certain type of fish. But then, you know, it's it, at the end of the day, it's the customer driving the ship and whatever they want to do. Now, how long have you been, I mean, obviously, like, how did this all start for you? 
Um, I mean, it, it started for me just like kind of like I touched base on earlier. It was it, it's basically you know just like a passion, just like anything, like hunting outdoors. You just develop that passion and that need to be outside and you know that 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 drive of the hunt. And it, it's really hard to explain, you know, but something about you know getting up at two in the morning and getting down to the dock when you know a lot of people are still stumbling around their dock partying from the night before and you're going offshore and you're out there for 14 15 hours just trying to make something happen and you know just the adrenaline rush and, and everything that goes into it through the preparation the lack of sleep the camaraderie with your friends and you know and your crew and you know the expression on the charter customer's face at the end of the day I mean there's so much that goes into it but it's all just just you just have to love it. And it's just, you know, the passion of being out there and just kind of putting it all together and just making it happen for people is, is pretty much where it's. So, so, it what, worth it. so what was, what was the, probably the first trip that kind of like kind of stuck that needle in your arm for you? That set the hook. <laughs> oh man. Um, I would have to say I was probably, I was in my early teens and I got to go offshore. This is when I like first started to go offshore. You know, I was driving my bike down to uh, local beaches and just, you know, surf, surf casting and fishing for stripers and things like that. I got the, um, I got the opportunity to go offshore on one of my father's um, buddy's boats. So that's my dad was essentially who got me into it. He had a love for the outdoors and kind of passed it on and kind of taught me everything he knew. And then it kind of developed into what it is today. But the first opportunity I had, man, I got to go out in this old uh, beat up lobster boat that was converted into a sport fishing boat, you know, probably cruising like eight miles an hour the entire way out there. And we went out and we spent the night and I just remember just, you know, just being out there and we, we set the baits out for the night and we're just kind of hanging out. It's two in the morning, half asleep, waiting for something to happen. And uh, next thing you know, one of these, you know, uh, Penn International 50 wide just starts dumping and I get up, I grab the rod and it's slack and I'm just reeling as hard as I can, just trying to make the line come tight. And the next thing you know, man, this like four foot Mako shark was probably swimming like 40 miles an hour straight at the boat. As soon as that line came tight, that Mako just leapt out of the water. Literally, like it felt like I could have reached out and grabbed it. And he just aired, aired out of the water well over my head and literally splashed and just blew water all over me on the side of the boat. And then he spit the hook and he was gone, man. And it, like, just the experience of hooking a fish like that and then losing it that quick. And then just being able to physically see that in person, it just, I mean, it, it kind of, it raises the blood pressure a little bit, man. It, it's, it's, I don't know. It's pretty tough to explain. It's like Sharknado in real life. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No doubt. So, so that's where it all starts is shark fishing for you, huh? Yeah. I mean that, and that just anything in general, I mean, I, I, that like something like that, it's, you know, it's, unless you've been there and experienced it, it's really hard to explain the adrenaline rush that comes with it. But then, you know, after that, it was probably like, you know, four, four years later when I, you know, lost a bunch of big fish and lost a bunch of tuna, but I was out, you know, again with my dad and his buddies and we ended up landing a, um, we ended up landing a, a, a bluefin tuna that was like 116 inches and dressed, fully dressed out at 780 pounds. And it was right in our local waters here in the mud hole off of block island so Jeez. you know being able to hang that fish at like 18 years old or whatever is, is you know is, is pretty is a pretty good accomplishment and then um you know just it, like you're fighting a fish on a pennington national 130 class rod for an hour and a half i mean for like two and a half hours until we finally got a boat side and got a dart in it so it's i mean just just the camaraderie and the teamwork and, and actually being able to see a fish of that size in real life like I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. So, I mean, I'd say those two experiences are the ones that like really 
stuck the needle in the arm. Absolutely. And people just don't understand it. I mean, you could explain it a million and one times what it's all about, but unless you actually experience, you'll never, you'll never even understand. I mean, the words can't describe what happens off offshore. I mean, just the life, the, the birds. I mean, there's just all of that, that all puts, put, puts in perspective, the blue ocean. Like you want to see blue ocean, that's real blue ocean. Cause we don't get to see that in new England until you get further out, obviously. Um, and then the life that's out there is just incredible. The fish, the, the dolphins, the whales. I mean, it's just, it's something else. Yeah. The whole experience from going from pitch blackness and, you know, just the, the moon lighting up the water and you're cruising, you know, to go offshore and then the sun, the sun slowly starts coming up and it's literally like, you know, the most beautiful sunrise you've ever seen, like, you know, uncut, no filter, no, no, like no sorts of distraction in the way, just like you and the sun coming up on the horizon, you see it come up on the water and then you start seeing the signs of life. Like, like you said, the birds and the blue water and you see some bait moving and it's just, I mean, there's no way to describe it other than actually being out there and doing it for the people that haven't had the opportunity to like get offshore. I know for a lot of people, it might be a little sound a little sketchy or, uh, you know, you might get seasick and stuff, but you know, if you think you can stomach it, man, I would, uh, I'd try and get out there. Cause you're going to, you're going to see some things. Otherwise you would never, ever be able to see. And guys like us take that stuff kind of for granted. Cause we get to do it all the time and be <laughs> out there, you know? So you're just like, until, until you talk to someone else and you start saying something and they're like, really, that's really what goes on out there. Like, and they're like, yeah, it's insane yeah, it, out there. <laughs> it, it is. It's crazy. It's, it's literally, you know, it's uh it's, it's a different world. I mean, that's, that's like the only way I can explain it. You know, it's a different world. I mean, it's, it's the biggest part of our globe and it's majority of it is virtually unexplored and untouched. I mean, there's, there's creatures down in the, in the, in the ocean that we've never even thought of investigating and, you know, they're coming up and they're finding new ones every day. So it's, you know, it's, uh, it's definitely an experience. It's, it's kind of like, um, I don't know, you obviously were probably there this year with the, the ranger bite this year. It was like a straight aquarium. The amount of whales and, and bait that was there was just absolutely insane. And it's yeah. stuck there forever. Yep. I mean, you get, you get lucky. It's like it, every year is different. I mean, it's the same way for you guys in the woods, I'm sure. Um, you know, every year is different, you know, based on, you know, movement patterns and things of that nature in the woods. But especially when you're out in the water, man, like between – water temperatures and chlorophyll and bait and there's so many things that go into it you know where the temperature breaks going to be is it going to happen over structure is it going to happen where it's holding bait you know are there going to be whales there like i mean there's there's so much that goes into figuring out but a, a lot of times if you, if you get offshore enough and you have a network of guys there you can pretty much you can get pretty good at dialing in like where stuff's going to happen and you know where the life's going to be and, wh and where things are going to go down and and sometimes it hangs out in the same spot for you know, sometimes if you're catching bluefin tuna in 78 degree water when you're usually catching them in 58 to 62 degree water, you know, so it's like, you know, every year is different and you really don't know what's going to happen. It's just, uh, it's pretty wild. So how do you go about finding fish? Like what, where do you start? Like, what does it start for you? Like obviously temp breaks and stuff like that, but how do you go about finding those areas? So to me, I mean, it, it starts, it starts in the off season. You know, like your preparation and, you know, getting like a, you know, a good temperature chart or access to that. Um, but a lot of it starts with just preparation, your tackle, just making sure, you know, you service your rods and reels, making sure you have fresh leader material, making sure you change out the hooks and your split rings and your swivels and, you know, and your boat servicing and everything like that. Just making sure you spend the time over the winter to dial everything in and, um, 
and just make sure everything's good to go. Because, I mean, there's so much time, effort and money that go into it. When you hit the dock in the morning, you know, it's like it's easy just to get on the boat and be lazy and go. And, you know, if, if that's how you want to go about it and that's that's fun for you just to go out there, just to see different things and be out there and not really care if you catch fish. But if you're hardcore about catching fish, man, everything starts at the dock as far as getting it dialed in. Because I don't know how many times, you know, you've been driving offshore when I was first starting out fishing and, you know, you got your like your Penn International 80s and 50s just hanging out on the, uh, you know, on the rocket launchers. And you don't really have anything ready to go for casting and things of that nature. And you see a surface feed of fish and you all you have is your trolling rods ready. I mean those fish could be up for a minute. By the time you get your, your giant spinning rods out, get your leaders tied, get your lures on there and, and get ready to cast, those fish are gone. So, you know, having everything ready to go and, and actually having everything prepared ahead of time for whatever you might see. I mean, when I head offshore, we got our, we have our offshore stuff ready to go for trolling. That's in, you know, in the outrigger sitting there ready to go. But then we also have we have spinning rods ready for mahi. We have spinning rods ready for giant bluefin. We have spinning rods ready for your school size bluefin, everything in between. So if something does come up on the ride out there, you can capitalize on it and make it happen. So most of that stuff happens when you're leaving the dock just to make sure, you know, you're having a successful day. But as far as actually heading out there and what you're looking for, man, um, it's, again, every, every day is different. But, you know, 90% of the time when you're bluefin fishing, you're looking for, you know, you're, you're looking for bait signs of bait on, on your, on your sounder that you're seeing underneath the boat. And usually what's hinting you this, you know, this bait down there to stop and kind of look for it is, you know, any surface activity, if you see birds in the area and uh, you know, humpback whales. I mean, if you're going out there looking for bluefin and you find humpback, you find a concentration of humpback whales. I mean, I, I literally can count in the amount of times I've been offshore. I think I've literally been out there twice and saw a large concentration of humpback whales with no signs of bluefin with them. They just didn't happen to be there. But 90% of the time, if you find a big concentration of humpbacks, there's going to be bluefin there because those humpbacks are feeding on, you know, your, your krill and your sand eels and different things of that nature, which your oceanic bluefish are then feeding on. And then you have your bluefin that need to eat so much food to keep themselves going. They're sitting there sucking down the sand eels. They're sitting there eating the bluefish and everything in between, whatever they can get on. So, you know, if, if you find the whales you're 90% of the time you're in the area, man, or you're not far off They're They're around you. So what temps are you looking for when you're in those travels for, for, for the bluefin? Do they stay in a, a, a certain temperature break? I mean, generally for the bluefin, you're going to be in the sixties, you know, most of the time you're going to be in that, in that mid sixties for Rhode Island, I should say, you know, mm-hmm. in South of Rhode Island. But when you get on the Cape, you know, the water temperature's freezing, it's in the high fifties and this, this, this bluefin there and they stay there till December, same thing up in Canada, you know? So, but around here, most of the time, you know, it's in that, it's in that uh, early to mid 60 degree temperature. Um, but uh, like we had years where there were no fish came here and we were driving 80 miles from Rhode Island to go all the way down off of New York. And these bluefin did not come go past there. And they literally stayed there an entire season. And the last time we were going down there and catching bluefin, man, it was the water temperature was 80 something degrees and it was clear blue. There were literally um, giant manta rays that were all over the place. And the bluefin were swimming around with the rays. And, you know, it was like, it, it's, it's really hard to explain, but we're also in 200 feet of water. So you have to think those fish are going down to, on the bottom to 200 feet to cool themselves and regulate their temperatures. And then they're coming up to feed, but it was literally tropical. There were hammerheads swimming around. There were dusky sharks, you know, we were, there were yellowfin mixed in, there were mahi, and you're still bluefin fishing because that's where they were, and they never moved. So, you know, as much as you want to say, 
you know, what typically happens, it's, it's, it's tough to call. They're fish. They do just about anything that they want. <laughs> yeah. And you know, most of it is, it's, you know, it's, it's amazing, but you think like this bait everywhere on here, why aren't there fish here? Why are they staying down there in that warm water? Well, there's obviously food there too. Right. You know, they, they need food. And if they have a concentration of food, unless they have it ingrained in their, you know, migratory patterns from over the years or where they were born or where their parents went or where they migrated the year before, um, you know, it's, they're, they're going to stay with this food. They, they need to eat. They need to sustain themselves and they're just going to gorge. Especially so, what, so what would be the temperatures for yellowfin compared to bluefin? Again, or would they be in the same areas or they, are yeah, they? They can be. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, a lot of times you can get them, you can get them together. I mean, most of the time you're going to catch your, your bluefin and you're going to be in, in tighter to shore. I mean, I, I've caught my biggest, every, every one of my giant bluefin that I've caught has been within clear sight of land, you know? And then once you start getting off into that blue water that the bluefin will definitely hang out in, but most, most of it is like water temperature and chlorophyll and, and things of that nature for the yellows. They like that really, really blue, pristine, clear offshore, like true, you know, Canyon shipping lane water. That is, that is bright blue. So most of the times, you know, your yellows, you're, you know, you're probably 70 plus degrees most of the time, um, you know, you start getting into your yellows, but it's really, you're just looking for that really clear blue, pristine water that they like to be in. They like to hunt in and they're just accustomed to be it. And once you get in that murky water, most of the time it's, it's going to be, you know, you're going to start getting into your bluefin and your sharks and things of that nature. So what are your, what are the tactics different between bluefin and yellowfin? It, it depends on how you want to target them. Um, you know, it, it's, I, I tell everyone, I mean, you get some guys and, and all they know and all they hear about is trolling for fish and they go out there and they troll around all day and they ask me, well, how, you know, how'd you catch fish? Why did you guys come back to the dock with fish today? And we didn't. I mean, well, what'd you do? Like we trolled all day. I'm like, you're trolling all day and you're marking fish at 150, you know, hundred feet, you know, is there a chance they'll rise up, you know, to get some sun or some, or a feed and come up and, and hit your bars or, or, your Joe shoots or whatever it is you're trolling behind the boat. Yeah. But most of the time you gotta, you gotta present the bait to them and where they're feeding. If they're at 150 feet, there's, there's a reason they're there. You know, you're going to, whether it's water temperature and, and, and feeding, you know, you, you gotta get the baits down to them. So it's any type of fishing, you gotta present the bait properly. Um, bluefin fishing, you can, you can usually get away with, you know, a little bit more of, a well-rounded, you know, fishery, like you, you can jig for them. You can, you can chunk for them. You can live bait for them, which you can do with the elephant too. But, you know, it, when you start talking about being a thousand feet of water, as opposed to 150 feet of water, it kind of opens up your range of, you know, different ways you can fish for them. So, you know, typically bluefin fishing will do everything from, you know, live squid, live mackerel, live bluefish, uh, chunks, chunks where you hand feeding them you, you you just kind of get them up under the boat on chunks of butterfish and things of that nature or uh you know dropping jigs dropping ronzies dropping you know Daiwa sk jigs down saltiga jigs whatever, whatever it is to get it down there but you know the biggest thing is just presenting your your baits and and whatever it is as similar to how they're currently feeding you know they, they do get in the zone and they want to just feed the way they're feeding and if you can present it you know for lack of a better term matching the hatch you know you want to be able to present the bait at the levels they're feeding at and, and how they're currently eating it. Otherwise, it, you know, just kind of get shrugged off. And, the, you know, as far as the yellowfin, most of the time our yellowfin, we do get lucky sometimes offshore and you get your yellowfin to come up on top like you do, 
you know, like down south, you see like the, the acres and acres of yellowfin tuna busting on top like you do in Panama. Very rarely do you get that size of, you know, topwater feeds. I've seen it a couple times here. But most of the time you'll get some, you'll see some fish up on the surface or quick, you know, topwater feeds with yellowfin and big eye. Um, but most of the time, most of our, most of our offshore fishing is, you know, trolling during the day. You know, you're trolling at top, trying to get those, those, you know, find those highly migratory fish to, to come up and you're trying to find the temperature breaks and the weed lines and the pilot whales and things like that, that you find offshore in the Canyon and you want to troll around. So you, you know, find the concentration of fish and then just keep pounding that area. Um, so most of the Canyon stuff's trolling related, unless it's nighttime, which, you know, it's still a great time to troll for big eye, but that's a whole nother, whole nother can of worms, you know, for like trolling for big eye at night. But a lot of times people like to shut the boat down and, you know, have some people get a little rest and, and set the baits out there for chunking and, and things of that nature at night. So, there's a lot of similarities, but, you know, a lot of times they're different and, you know, it, it's really tough to pinpoint which ways to go out there and target them until you get out there and kind of get, get a feeling for your surroundings and see, you know, how those fish are feeding and, and what's going to be your best shot of getting them. So you're talking about trolling, like, so what, what kind of things are you trolling and like, how would you set up your boat to troll? Like, as far as like how many rods, what would you put down on each rod on the outriggers, so on and so forth? Oh man. Um, so a lot of that comes into just like one, the size boat you're running, you know, two, you know, the, the, the fish that you're trying to target. Um, you know, if you, if you want to go out there and you're fishing in a tournament, that's like marlin heavy and you really want to get some built fish, you know, you're going to troll differently than you are if you want to, you know, catch, catch yellowfin and albacore and things of that nature. So, um, it's, uh, you know, it's really tough to call, but I'd say the majority of it is the, you know, the type of boat you're fishing in and the size of it and you know that gives you the capabilities of how much room you have to put a spread out so you know if you're going out there and you know a mid 30 foot center console it's going to be way different than if you're fishing a 90 foot sport fish you know so it's your spread's going to be different but most of the time you know we like to fish your combination of spreader bars um you know whether it's some sterling tackle or carlson or you know elite or wherever you're getting your spreader bars from so just different size spreader bars um you want to put the spreader bars out you know, if they're feeding on small sand eels, you want to have small squid squid bars, you know, or small sand eel, sand eel bars. You don't want to have massive squid and they're feeding on a small bait, you know, it's just all trying to, you know, make it as close as possible to what they're feeding on. So a lot of spreader bars, you know, mix and match with different sizes until you figure out what they're hitting. Um, we'll do Joe shoots, which are essentially um, a basically like a weighted, a weighted head with a skirt on it. So we're, we're dressing those with our ballyhoo on them. So we have, you know, which we call putting out the meat basically. So you're putting like your jet heads out with your skirts and you're tying, um, you're tying ballyhoo on and, and you're basically just rigging up a Joe shoot in the spread. Um, we drop X wraps on spinning rods in the middle of the spread to get them down below everything. Cause they dive, you know, 30 plus feet down. So you can kind of get you down a little bit deeper in the water column. And then, you know, anything else you can mix and match and throw out there, you know, flippity floppities, which are just like, you know, wiggly like rubbers out there that, you know, bounce around, have different action than the squid do. Um, you can throw out, you know, you know, daisy chains, you can throw out, uh, you know, anything really, you know, cedar plugs, whatever it is that you think is going to get the job done. I mean, until you find out what they're feeding on, I just try to mix and match, you know, usually typically on bright days, using bright colors and on dark days, when it's cloudy and rainy or whatever, using dark colors, but you know, every day is different. You just try to troll around and, and, and figure it out until you find out kind of how they're feeding and what they're feeding on. So when you are trolling, like what, what speeds are you trolling at? Say for uh, like bluefin, yellowfin, stuff like that. Yeah. So if, you know, if, if typically like, you know, five to seven knots, 
depending on how they're feeding and, and how you're trolling and what you're trolling and sea conditions and wind conditions and weather and all that stuff, you know, whether you're going into the current, you're going, you know, away from the current, all that stuff comes into play. But typically, you know, you're five, five to seven, seven and a half knots. And then once you start getting over that seven and a half knots, you know, then, then you're kind of like, not specifically or exclusively trying to target them, but you know, your Wahoo, you know, they're going to, they're going to feed on some sort of structure weed line or, you know, a lot of times they like to hang on, but they'll also be out there in the open water. So if you just want to target like your Wahoo or your Marlin, you're typically going to have a faster, you know, high speed troll where you're going to get up towards, you know, 10 plus knots and you're going to troll and, and you're going to typically try to try to target them at, at higher speeds just because they're fast and they're just apex, super fast predators. And they, they like to hit stuff that's moving, you know, they, that's how they like to do it. So. That's awesome. So, so on like your boat, how many rods do you run on the back of your boat? Uh, typically somewhere, depending on what, like sea conditions, we'll typically do anywhere from like eight to 12, depending on oh, how wow. we're, yeah. Yeah. We'll try to get as many out there as possible without, you know, creating a mess of a tangle fest out back because nobody wants to deal with that. So, you know, if winds, if winds pushing one way and tide pushing another way and it's trying to blow your bars across and catching the lines, it's just becomes a mess. So you kind of see what the sea conditions are going to let you do. And, um, you know, the more you have out there and the more you have presented is obviously it's going to give you the more opportunities to try and try and hook up and make stuff happen, you know? So it's, you try to get as much out there as you can without being ridiculous and having so stuff. What happens when, when, all, when the havoc breaks out? Like, so what is the first thing that you're going to do? Oh my God. Uh, so when, like, <laughs> I know that's a, all, that's right a, that's there. a loaded question. I know that. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, a lot of it depends if it's, if we're out there fishing a tournament, you know, everyone kind of knows their role and, and, and what they're going to do because we've done it before and everyone's on the same page and you have a game plan for you can get out there. So it's, you know, it pretty much just happens if, you know, we're on a charter or whatever. Um, you typically try to give everyone the rundown. So like once you get in the, tr- all right guys if this happens this is what we want you to do we want you know you to focus on getting the rest of the rods out we want you know you to focus on getting the gaffs ready we want you to fight the fish you can have the belt ready for this person and you know we're going to drive i'll drive the boat and then you know the mate's going to just kind of uh control the chaos as much as possible without uh without something crazy happen but typically when when you're trolling offshore and a rod goes down a lot of people think the first thing you want to do is, you know, take the boat out of gear and start fighting the fish and, and, and go and run and get the rod. And when, when we're trolling offshore, you, a lot of times, you know, fish travel in packs, especially when you're fishing in the canyons, you know, for your yellowfin, your big eye, your albacore, things of that nature. A lot of times you're going to get more than one strike at once. So once a rod goes down, just keep trolling, you know, let this, there's a lot of line on those rods, even the 50 wides, you know, there's a lot of line on them. And there's a lot of backing on there, you know, so just keep driving the boat at the same speed you hooked up on. I mean, if you're Marlin troning or something specifically that or Wahoo and you're just going for those fish, you're going to want to slow the boat down pretty quick because they have soft mouths and, you know, you're going to want to, you can pull the hooks out and stuff. But if you're just trolling for tuna fishing, just, just keep the boat going the same speed, keep that line tight, let, let that line just keep going, let the drag keep dumping and, um, you know, just troll for like another eighth of a mile, you know, and just see if you can see if you can get another fish to come up in the spread and hit them. And then, if it's, if it's only one fish, then, you know, you start slowly reeling in the other lines and getting them out of the way for the person fighting the fish and just doing your best to do the dance and lift the rods under over, get them around, whatever you can do not to have a, not to tangle and, and, and get the line mixed up with, with whoever's fighting the fish. But um, the biggest thing is just communication and just making sure everyone has a job and knows what's, what they're going to do when, when those, when it goes off. What's one of the craziest things that ever happened to you when it, when Sarad went down? 
Oh man. Uh, <laughs> so we were, uh, we were offshore fishing one time. We had like, oh, it was a nice fish. It was probably like a hundred, 150 pound bluefin. And we were fighting it for a little while. We get, we get it up, we get it up next to the boat. Um, and it, uh, my dad's leader in the fish, my other buddy's fighting the fish. And, you know, you think the, you think the fish is done when you're leader in the, uh, leader in the fish and the spreader bar is coming up towards the boat when you, you get in and you figure you're getting ready for a gap shot. So this fish, nice size fish, like I said, 100, 150 pounds. And for people that don't know tuna fish and like a fish of that size, it doesn't sound huge, but I mean, very strong. And if he wants to go one way and you're not paying attention, he's, he's going to go that way. And he's going to take you with it. So my dad was a leader in the fish and he was holding on to the spreader bar and the fish took off. It took one more run and, you know, he didn't have his center of gravity and he didn't want to let go of the spreader bar. And he went in the water with the fish and uh, was hilarious because he like he popped his head back up. I'm, I'm, I'm just making sure he's not tangled up in the line or something, you know. He pops his head back up and he's like, I'll just swim around, land the fish. Make sure you land the fish. I'll be fine. Just come back and get me. He's hanging on the transom of the boat, and we 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 land the fish and get it. Um, that was one pretty wild story. I mean, I I've had like a rod break while I was fighting the fish and come up and smoke me in between the eyes with the with with the sunglasses and break. I mean, it, it, it's it's crazy. I mean, as far as like when 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 things happen like that, I mean, it's it, it's it's mayhem. And it's crazy being offshore and something like that happening. Yeah, it is. I mean, you're you're in the middle of nowhere. I mean, and if, are, and if something happens bad, I mean, you have to be pretty much well prepared for it too. Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, when we go offshore, I mean, we, we have everything, you know, we have a full first aid kit. I mean, my father's an EMT and he mates most of the time on the boat. So like we, we legit have enough to, to drop, drop an IV and if we need to and, and get some fluid into someone that's, that's if he's in the boat and he's not swimming around the fish in the water. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> What are some of the safety things that you carry on the boat? Speaking of some of that stuff. Yeah. I mean, we, we do a lot of giant, like, like on our days off, we'll try and do some like giant fishing for commercial, commercial purposes. So a lot of, you know, we have to have certain uh, regulations and specs, but you know, you want to be as, as, you know, as cautious as possible. I mean, you're going out literally in the middle of nowhere and you're legit going to the edge of the earth. Like you're going to where the continental shelf drops off into the deep ocean and just keeps going until it's, 5,000, 6,000, 8,000, 10,000 feet just keeps going. So you're literally in the middle of nowhere. So, I mean, there's really no price on, you know, caution and being safe and safety. So, um, you know, we take everything, you know, from we, we, well, we're, like this year we have, we have our new boat that's coming in um, new to us. It's not a new boat, but um, the 38 foot center console I was talking about. So we're going to have, we'll have a life raft on there. Um, we'll have, you know, Coast Guard certified um, like uh uh, vests and jackets and then we'll have survival suits fire extinguishers you know full first aid kit with enough to drop an iv anything of that nature and um and and, and a raft you know the raft that automatically deploys if if something happens so um there's no no price you can put on peace of mind no and especially yeah. like like in reach and stuff like that too yeah, absolutely oh. that, that we i didn't even touch on that yeah we take that stuff with garmin in reach and you know different types of epurbs and and things that nature that Coast Guard can get a hold of you and find you if, if they need to. So, um, you know, God forbid, you hope you're never in that situation. But I mean, all of us have been, if, you, if you're on the water enough, regardless of the you know time you put in the preparations, weather can change so fast. Um, you know, things can get sketchy quick, even on, on the nicest days. And, you know, who knows, you have a boat issue, like you never know what's going to happen. I mean, I'm a big believer in karma. Like if someone else is out there, man, you can help anyone out on the water on a given day, do it. 
because I mean, you're all out there together. You're all in it together. At the end of the day, everyone just has to, has to make it back to the dock. You know, that's, that's the most important thing. So, I mean, safety is safety is definitely number one for sure. And it's, and it's not even about if it's going to happen to you. It's about when it's going to happen to you out there. I mean, it's, that's yeah. kind of one of those things. I mean, you're in the boat enough and you're, you're out there enough that if it's not about if it's going to happen, it's about when it's going to happen to you. Yeah. Uh, you know, just, yeah, exactly. I mean, as much time and preparation that you put into it, it's some, eventually something's going to happen. I don't care if you're in a brand new boat. Uh, I mean, I had a situation where I was in like, I was in a 53 foot sport fish, which every, everything safety wise you could ever imagine is on that boat. And you know, the, the boat, the boat had some work done and there were some oil pads that were left in the bottom of the boat that ended up getting clogged in the bilges. And the next thing you know, there's a decent amount of water down there and you're down there trying to figure it out. And until you can see what's going on, you know, you think the worst, but so it's like, I mean, just, just being overly cautious and just putting your time in and, and just making sure everything's dialed in as much as possible. And it, it's tough too, for guys that are on the water every day, like you want to go out there and you want to make your money and you want to turn around and do as many trips as possible. But at the end of the day, it's like, you have to make sure that stuff is dialed in because that is that's number one. What is one of the craziest things that's happened to you out in the water? You took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> oh man! Uh, so I know we all have them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I'll tell you, this is this is a. I mean, this is a pretty good story. I have a couple, but so we're getting same, but I was doing a charter on the fifty-three uh, foot sport fish. We're getting ready to leave the dock for the day. And, you know, when you're doing that many charters and, you know, you're literally going from sleeping four hours and getting up and doing it all over again and pure exhaustion from doing that for 10 days in a row. I mean, it, it starts to get a little crazy. You start to like, I don't want to say hallucinate, but you start to get a little like lack of sleep just catches up with you and you start to just get a little foggy. But so we had this group of customers that were coming down to the boat and we, had, we hadn't fished with them before. I had no idea who was coming. I mean, they paid for a shipping lane strip on a 53 foot boat, you know, for 70 miles offshore. So, you know, you assume they really want to get in there and they, they want to fish and they're pretty hardcore about it because um, it's not cheap. I mean, there are people that have money that just want to get out there and do what they want to do. But at the same time, most people booking trips offshore are either into it or, um, you know, pretty hardcore about getting experience out of it. Um, so we, we uh, we're sitting there waiting at the dock and, and this family comes down and, and the two, two people that are kind of leading the, the charge down the dock are, you know, an older man and a woman. And the, um, the wife is pushing her husband in a wheelchair. And, and um, so, which is fine. I mean, we try to accommodate everyone. We try to get them in and out of the boat if we Hardcore. can. And, yeah, especially. And, and on that size boat and the dude's old too, man. He's not like, he's not like a young buck and you know we try to take you know anyone we can we can take service people out there and you know to, you know wounded warriors anything we, we accommodate any way we can but a lot of times you know there's some sort of a heads up given you know to us um but these two old people in their 70s man they came strutting down the dock like they were like gonna go out there and go spear fishing and she's pushing her husband in the uh, in the wheelchair and they get on the boat and their two sons get on the boat so it's four of them so I help lift him up into the salon. He goes, you know, the father's in there hanging out in the boat. I'm talking with the sons. So then, you know, we, I'm like, ask the sons, well, you guys good to go? And they're like, yeah, we, we're good to go. So the family, you know, they were, um, they were immigrants from the Middle East. So their English for the parents was a little bit, you know, was a little broken. And the, um, 
the kids have been here for years, you know, so I was actually, you know, as far as communication, it was fine with the kids, but, you know, for the, for the parents, they just didn't speak very well. So they, when they would, you know, have conversation with us, the kids would translate and things of that nature. So they didn't say anything to us. We get offshore, we get 70 miles out there. We start fishing. We get, we literally put the lines in the water. We get two massive mahi up in the boat, ready to go. And I'm fishing by myself. I look around, the two kids are throwing up, puking. And, you know, the, the wife's back in, inside the boat hanging out with her husband. I go in and check on them and they're like, and I'm like, you guys want to go? And I'm like trying to talk to the kids and they can't even get a word out because they're puking so hard. They can't even talk. They're like green. They're throwing up. So I'm like, all right. I go up top and tell the other captain, I'm like, I, th- I think we got to get out of here. We got to go back. I'm like, what do you mean? We just, we just, I'm like, they're all sick. They, they said they want to go to Block Island and go fluke fishing. I'm like, all right. So I guess we turn around. So we turn around, right? And we're driving, like, we're driving, but we got to go like 50 miles back to Block Island now. So we're cruising back to go bottom fishing. And, you know, thought we we're having an offshore tuna trip and, you know, mahi trip. And that's how fast it changes. So we're, we're going in to go fluke fishing now behind Block Island. About, you know, 20 miles into the, to the cruise back to Block Island, the, uh, I'm up top, you know, on the fly bridge now with the other captain. So the son comes up the stairs. He's like, Hey, you mind stopping the boat? My dad's got to use the bathroom and he's in the wheelchair. So they got to help him up to use the bathroom and things like that. So I'm like, yeah, no problem. And it's kind of rocky. So we stop. I'm hanging out. I was like, just come back up and let me know when you guys are good. And I'm, uh, I'm hanging out in the fly bridge, just chilling 20 minutes go by. And I'm like, I wonder if I should go down there and check on him. And they're like, the other captain's like, yeah, just go see. Dude, I go down there, I open the salon door for the inside of the boat, and this old guy is literally standing there, hunched over, stock naked, with his shitty diaper on the floor in the salon, just covered in, covered in crap, and his, his wife is, uh, has wet wipes, and is wipe, wiping the front end, and his son's on the back, and they're just sitting there staring at me, and I'm like, just... Okay. just just come up and get me when you guys are done. <laughs> we'll be good. So the sun comes up and I'm like, hey, are you guys good? And he's like, yeah, we're good. He's like, my father just can't wipe himself. I'm like, well, next time, I mean, I get it. But feel free to try and use the bathroom. Like, it's a, it's a big, expensive boat. Like, I don't want skid marks on the rug. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> like It's like, what is going on? So he's like, all right, no, I get it. I appreciate it. And uh, so I go and tell the guy that owns the voice, are you kidding me? He's like, that guy had his shitty diaper on my rug. Like, oh my God. So we, we start driving back and we get to block pound. We're fishing. So I help the father. I pick his wheelchair up, get him out there again. And he keeps trying to like get me, like help me lift him up so he can pee over the side of the boat. And every time he tries to go, he's like, I can't go. And two minutes later, lift me up again. I'm like, I'm like, so I'm asking the son, wow. like, what's going on? He's like, oh, he's having a, uh, he's like, I don't know. He just can't go. So we start driving in past Block Island and the kid's like, we got to hurry up and get in. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, my, uh, you know, my father, he's, he has a blockage and he can't urinate. He's in extreme pain. And I'm like, he's like, yeah, he had a stroke three months ago. I'm like, you're just telling us this now. He comes down the dock in a wheelchair. Your dad just had a stroke three months ago and we're taking him to the shipping lanes to go tuna fishing. I mean, I get it. I mean, I'm all for giving someone experience, but like, give us a heads up, dude, so we have know what's going on. Like, this dude's safety and getting you guys back to the dock on top of catching fish is the top priority. So, to make a long story short, man, we get back to the dock, and this dude has like, he's the rescue there, taking him off, right? And this dude gets rushed in the ambulance, 
goes to the hospital. He turns out he's fine, but his wife stayed behind to make sure I clean the two mahi that I caught when they were throwing up to take him home with her and sent her husband in the bus to the, to the hospital by himself. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that has to be the best charter story I've ever heard. And I've been charter fishing for a while. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, something to be said for opening the salon door and going in and, and thinking you go down to the bathroom and check on someone. Next thing you know, you see this, like, seven-year-old dude's ball bag dangling around his knees with shit on it. Uh, like, I mean, it's – you can see some stuff, man. I'm telling you. It's – You it's can't class- even make it up. Like, it's – you can't make it up. No. I, I, I guess think you could make that up. I've had to put people on time out before, like on the boat. You tell them what to do. They don't listen. You tell them what to do again. And you're like on five days with no sleep. And you're like, dude, you got to go sit in the beanbag and tell you to get out. Like, I feel like, like, I feel like you're like my seven year old niece right now, but you got to go sit in the beanbag and tell you to get out. And it was, it was pretty funny. We we're like, we we're calling him Joe dirt all day. Cause the guy had a mean mullet and he was drinking Budweiser. He was hammered. He was screaming at me that my rods are breaking. My real my reels are broken. He's like, your reels are broken. I'm like, why are they broken? He's like, the bail doesn't flip over on its own. I'm like, yeah, they're offshore high-end fishing reels. You have to flip the bail yourself. So I had to put Joe Dirt in timeout and tell him to sit there and drink his Budweiser and the beanbag for a while. I mean, it, dude, it's crazy. I've had absolute mayhem going on with giant mako sharks by the boat. We harpooned this, like, massive shark, and he literally took off, dude. And he was so big, he – the dart ball went underwater and vanished and never came up like straight. Yeah. Jaws. Wow. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. That's so, a big fish. <laughs> yeah. So, I there's mean, there's, behind him. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that goes on out there. People just don't understand it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it, yeah, it's, uh, it's something. And, you know, it, and that like brings me to another point too is like, it, it's funny. So I like challenge everyone that like, if you want to go offshore fishing, like take your time, do your research you know, find a captain that you think really is going to be good and, and fits the needs that you're looking to do. But if you're picking a good charter captain, I'm not making excuses for anyone. I'm not saying it's right or it's wrong, but we try to be as personable as possible. And at the end of the day, our job is to go out there and catch you fish. And at the end of the day, we are entertainers. We're out there with you for whatever, 10 to 14 hours. So we're going to try and have as much fun with you guys as possible. But at the end of the day, you want to go out there, you want to have fun, you want to catch fish, and you want everyone to come back safe. So those are the top priorities. So when they're like they tell like when they're telling you to listen or to do something, like you have to pay attention because I mean things can go haywire quick and something happens, you lose a fish, and that was your only shot to get a fish all day. And next thing you know, your captain's pissed off, kicking stuff and swearing because someone made a mistake because they didn't listen. But do as much research as possible. Find out who's, you know, who's going to be able to do as close to what you want to do um, and, and kind of get you out there. But when you go down to the dock in the morning and, you know, you have like you have a salty captain who's a little grouchy and you probably pick the right guy because if he's sitting there, jumps out perky, like he just slept for 15 hours. One, he's probably on drugs or two. He is like, <laughs> you know, he, he hasn't fished at all this week or this month. And he's got full, he's full of sleep. Like, I mean, it, it, it sounds crazy, but when you go on an offshore fishing trip, you're off there for 14 hours, you go back, you fish all day. By the time you get back to the dock, you clean the boat, you flay the fish, you make sure all the gears dialed in and, and changed out for the trip the next day. And, you know, and then you, you literally go home, you eat some food and you're in bed and you're getting up in another three hours and then you're going out for a Canyon overnight trip the next day. And then you're back and you have another Canyon trip and then you have a, 
you know, a fluke trip and whatever. I mean, you can go 10, 12, 14 days if you have good weather windows when you're doing trips like that. And, you know, it, it wears on you. And like, you know, dudes get salty. I mean, it's a, it, 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 it can be a grind and it'll wear on you. So it's like, when you, when, when you're looking for a charter captain, man, you, you if you find someone who's yelling at you, they're not yelling at you because you're in a state, they're not grouchy because they're not enjoying or love what they do. They're just not there. It's like Jekyll and Hyde, man. They're, they're gone. But that's, that's pretty much when you know you picked the right guy. You that need that sense. though. Cause if, oh, go ahead, Steve. No, you're good. I was just saying that makes sense. It makes honestly perfect sense. You want that because if you don't, like like Chris just said, I mean, it, those those guys have been out there. That, that's where that's where salty captain came from. I mean, like <laughs> the old salts. Look at those guys, how weathered they are, and because they're out there all the time doing the same exact thing every day. You know? Paying for you're paying for their years of experience, what they've seen on the water. You know, everything. You know. You, you, pay for, you pay for that salty, grouchy captain. And, and it, it's not even them being grouchy. It's just them, you know, it's just, it's just who they are. And it's lack of sleep. And it's putting in all that time and effort and everything behind the scenes to go out there and catch you fish, the fish of a lifetime that you'll never forget, you know. And, and, and part of that experience is meeting the personalities and the captains that, you know, put up with a lot of stuff every day on no sleep and work their ass off to try and make it happen for people every day. And, and the other thing, too, is that they're doing it for your safety also because shit can turn very quickly as far as safe, like shark fishing and tuna fishing and sword fishing and so on and so forth. Things can get crazy. That's all. Number one, everyone's mind is safety. That's it. First and foremost, I like any thought that comes into any captain's head that, you know, is good at what they do. That's the first thought is first and foremost, safety. And then it's fun. And then it's already catching fish. But most of the time, fun and catching fish happen at the same time. But you know, safety is, uh, is always first and foremost. And it's like, it's funny too. You, you're like, you're strutting down the dock and you're on vacation. You go down and talk to the guy. It happens to me all the time. The guys like at the oyster bar, right? Where I keep my boat and they come down they have a couple cocktails. They're sitting there drinking their martini coming down the dock and they're on uh, tight Nantucket red shorts. And they're just like, Hey, what's going on? How'd you guys do today? You catch fish. I'm like, well, you see me flaying 10 fish here. So I think you answered your own question one. <laughs> And uh, two, where'd we go fishing? What'd we do? Did we have fun? Uh, yeah. You know, and, I, and I'd love to sit here and have a long chat with you and, uh, and shoot the shit. But like, I still got two or three hours work left to do before I go home and eat dinner and get up and do it all over again. So as much as I like to sit here and chat and, uh, you know, sing Kumbaya's, um, you know, if you, if you want to know where I caught fishing, if we had fun and, and, and all those details, feel free to book a charter. Right, exactly. <laughs> Good call. I like yeah. it. Yeah. It's so true. Oh, it's so it is. True. It's hilarious. And you, you know, it's at the end of the day, it's all about fun. But it's like, and if you see a salty captain of the dock that's doing trip after trip, and he's, uh, he's, unless you see him in a bean bag on the boat, vegged out, drinking a beer or something, like just shy away until he's done doing his work. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so you guys offer inshore fishing trips also, not only offshore. Yeah. We, I mean, we do everything we'll do. I mean, at the, it's fun and the kids and, and, you know, at the end of the day, it's getting the next generation of, you know, kids involved in the next, you know, getting kids outside, especially with what's going on in the world right now. You know, it's like mm -hmm. getting kids outside and giving them something to do and, you know, give them something to look forward to and some healthy hobbies as they get older. That's at the end of the day, you know, that's, that's what it's all about. So we take, we do a lot of stuff with kids and a lot of that stuff is like, just, you know, just getting the rods bent and giving them action. Cause you know, the kids, they, they just want to go out there. They want action. They don't really care what they're doing. We'll go out there and catch 
you know, a variety of bottom fish. I mean, they, you go out there and you take them scup fishing, sea bass fishing and fluke fishing and they catch whatever. I mean, they catch a skate and a dogfish. They're souped and they, they get a dogfish thinking they get a shark and they're all happy. So, I mean, we do everything from that to, you know, and then your tourists who come in and they just want to take a boat ride and see some lighthouses. Um, you know, people want to see the windmills because it's, you know, right off of Block Island is the first offshore functioning wind farm. Um, you know, in the U.S., a lot of people like to see that. Um, so uh, whatever the customers want to do, I mean, we do it all. We do Newport Harbor cruises. People love to love to um, love to just go from Jamestown, Narragansett, Point Judith to Newport for the day and just do a cruise. Look at the look at the mega yachts and the sailboats and things like that that's actually my partner's favorite trip. The harbor cruises in Newport. Man. <laughs> Why does he like them so much? With bachelorette parties too. Oh, oh those are good oh, ones. Okay. Okay, <laughs> those are sad. good ones. Yeah. Those sunset, sunset Newport harbor cruises with the bachelorette parties. We got those that, get crazy. We got dialed in. Those get crazy. Yeah, dude. We'll, we'll full service. We'll put on banana hammocks. Whatever. Whatever we need to do to keep them happy. <laughs> Dancing around. <laughs> Full service here. Uh oh, that could get good. So where can they find you, man? So I mean, we so I fished for years with a bunch of different companies, um, you know, which we've had obviously different types of social media websites, things that I into. But right now we have a website that's under construction for us. Um, it's going to be brand new for the season for the new boat. But um, if you guys, are, if you're on Instagram, which I'm sure pretty much all you are, you can go to Otoro, O T O R O underscore and sport fishing. And that's our Instagram to kind of kind of see what we what we do and the type of fish we catch. And for anyone who doesn't know what Otoro is, it's it's basically it's the uh, it's the most prize cut of belly meat in the bluefin tuna, which is the essentially, I mean it, it's it's like the gold in the tuna's belly that everybody wants. It's the fattiest. So when you're when you're eating bluefin tuna, the, the, it gets more expensive the more fat content it has in it because it just has the better taste and it's just just you know like any type of meat really. So it's just the prime cut of meat from the bluefin tuna bellies. That's, that's what, that's what goes to the big money over in Japan on the sushi market is the Otoro or the belly meat. So that's our, um, that's our Instagram. Also same thing on Facebook and, and the website would be the same thing. The website would be Otoro sport fishing, but we do most of our stuff through Instagram. We have a big following and a big influence on Instagram. Um, you know, we have like, we, I think we have over 8,000 followers now on Instagram that kind of keep, keep, keep track of us and see what we do and what kind of fish we're getting on a, you know, daily and weekly basis. So yeah. Otoro underscore sport fishing. Nice. I, I think that's the first time we've ever had somebody drop an Instagram name and give an educational session at the same time. <laughs> like I said, full service. I, I'm telling you, I mean, as long as the cover art isn't a banana hammock, I think people are sold or maybe that's, not. <laughs> that's what you're going to be looking for. <laughs> it all depends. Yep. It depends who the customers are. Well, sounds like you've had your share of depend situations, so we won't go too deep into that one. <laughs> too shy. Too shy. So, man, I do have one last question, and we ask everybody this, is, is what drives you outdoors? So what gets you out there on the water? I, uh, I just think it's, you know, for the love of it, one, and, you know, just like for me, it's like peace and meditation. Like when, I, when I'm – when I'm offshore and can't see land and there's no cars around, there's nobody honking, the cell phone's not ringing. Like you don't have to worry about anything on land. You don't have to worry about checking your email. You don't have to worry about who's calling you or who's texting you. You just go out there and you can leave everything behind. 
And it's just, it's just peaceful. To me, there's no better feeling in the world than that. And just being out there in the middle of nowhere, nobody else around and you are just relaxing, doing what you love and doing it with the people you, you want to be with, you know? Absolutely. For sure. Is there anything you want to leave it, uh, everybody with? No, I mean, not unless you guys have any more questions, whatever. I think I think we had a nice little uh, combination of some some tactics with some with some fun stories and kind of uh, preparation things of that nature. But you know, I the biggest thing I tell everyone to just have fun. And you know, if you're trying to get into offshore fishing, what I'm telling you and the things I gave you, they're not they're not the right way. They're just the way I do it. You know, so take I tell everyone if you're learning and you want to get into offshore fishing, take take what you learned from me. Take what you learn from another captain, and then you combine all that with your personal experience of being out there, and you develop your own program, and, and you know what's going to make you successful and what's what's going to help you out there. So there's no right or wrong way to do it. It's just you know putting putting what works for people that have done it for a long time in with your your new program, and and you get it dialed in. You go out there and have fun, but just make sure you're learning out there every time you go, and and just just try to have fun. But don't be afraid to to reach out to a local captain to help you along and. I mean, because most of the time you, you might feel bad or reaching out to someone and asking, you know, opinions and things of that nature if you're not paying them to do something. But most of the time, all of us are, you know, are good dudes and we're, we're looking to help out and, you know, give back to the industry that's given so much to us. And if we can help the next generation or, you know, get more people out there and, and, and you know, help, help our industry strive, that's what it's all about. So, yeah, just, just keep learning out there. Outstanding. I mean, that's, that, that's one way to uh, drop the mic or in this case, drop an anchor. Exactly. So no doubt with that, I think we'll just go ahead and wrap this sucker up. It was nice having you on. Thank you for the time and uh, for jumping on with us. I know everybody's going to appreciate this one. So can't yeah. thank you enough. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was, it was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And, you know, hopefully we can, uh, hopefully we can get some of you, you land loving hunters out there in the middle of the ocean to hunt, hunt a new species. <laughs> Nothing else. You'll get a laugh when it does happen. Trust yep. me. Perfect. Let's do it. All right. So everybody make sure you follow along, check them out. And uh, if you're interested, hook them up and uh, go out on one of these uh, maiden voyages, I think yeah. is a safe way to call it. <laughs> diapers at home. <laughs> Touche. And with that, We'll thank you guys for taking the ride right here on the Outdoor Drive.